questions. A couple weeks ago, we started a new series entitled Questions. And uh, they're questions I think a lot of us have. And uh, hopefully you can see that a little bit better than last time. I had a white screen with red. Put a black screen, so hopefully you can do a little bit better with that. But at any rate, questions. And, uh, you know, we asked the question two weeks ago. Why did you put your faith in Jesus? I mean, why? Just kind of wanted you to think about that because there are so many people like, ah, I don't want to do that. You know, it's kind of one thing that I noticed is a monster difference between the South and the Northeast. In the South, if you ask somebody if they're a Christian, well, of course they are. Everyone's a Christian down South. They all go to such and such church. You ask them, yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, every, everybody is. And if you ask somebody that in the Northeast, they're like, why would I want to do that? I like it. Because at least I know where they stand. Right from the get-go, I know where they're at. And uh, so I appreciate that in the honesty of, hey, I'll see you Sunday. No, you won't. You have no intention of being there. Here is like, why would I go there? I don't want to go to church on Sunday. I love the Northeast for that reason. They're honest, brutally honest sometimes. But I appreciate it because they're not lying to me. But the question is often asked, why? For many of us, why are, why, if indeed you are saved, why? And then we went on to look at a couple other questions, which was, well, why did Jesus come to this earth to save you? Why did Jesus do that for us? And very briefly, we just looked at several reasons, but we said Jesus saved us to bring Him glory. So the reality is, so every day that I live as a child of God, I am living not for myself, but to give God glory through the activities and actions of my life, right? I'm here to bring glory to Him. The question is, are we doing that? Or are we so preoccupied, so busy doing everything that it is that we do in a given day that we really don't think about bringing God glory in what we do in the day-to-day actions and reactions of life? Uh, in Revelation 4.11 says we are created to bring Him pleasure. We are so preoccupied with giving ourselves pleasure and doing that which brings us pleasure that we don't think about oftentimes giving God pleasure with our lives, our obedience, and so forth. Uh, he said, I created you. I saved you to declare for you to declare my praise. And the whole idea of praise is to rejoice in and to boast in and celebrate who Jesus is. We talked about the idea of even performing good works in Ephesians 2.10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So in the last week, can we think about our actions and the things that we did as we went about our day? Did we think about how we might do works for the Lord? Because that's one of the reasons by which He saved us, is to do works for Him. And then we looked at the idea that he said, I want to purify unto myself a peculiar people zealous for good works. And these are just a few of the ideas that we looked at in, uh, in these areas of questions. But as I've been thinking about the message, another question came to my mind. Could it be that many professing Christians, and I use that word loosely, professing Christians, aren't really fulfilling God's purposes. In other words, they're not bringing Him glory. They're not declaring His praise. They're not performing good works because they're really not God's children at all to begin with. Because if we were, there would be a lot of changes, a lot of things that would be different. Maybe it's that we're really not saved to begin with. And so I think there are a lot of people who say, well, I'm a Christian, and if you don't believe me, I'm telling you I am. But just because I say it doesn't make it so. I could tell you I'm a millionaire, but that doesn't change the reality. I mean, those of you that know, you know I'm not a millionaire. But I could say it till I'm blue in the face. doesn't change a thing, does it? So the reality is there are a lot of people, if you say, well, are you a Christian? Yes. But where's the reality of it? Because, as you said a million times, actions speak louder than words. Don't tell me, show me. So if I'm truly a child of God, what is different in my life? What is it that I have as a habit, as a discipline in my life because I say that I know Jesus Christ? And oftentimes, I don't like asking people if they're a Christian. I like asking them, are you a Christ follower? Because that means a totally different thing sometimes to different people. It kind of has a different nuance. Are you a follower of Christ? Would there be enough evidence against you to prove that what you say is in your life is actually reality? If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2 just for a moment. We're going to kind of start there in James chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 10. Or verse 14 actually. Verse 14. 
So James chapter 2, I want to just show, something, show you something here. I know it's probably something you've heard a thousand times in your life, but we're going to look at it again. In James chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. It says this, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? The reality is, if you say that I am a child of God, and I say that I'm a Christian, and I I believe, I mean, I have faith in God, I believe that He came down this earth, I believe that He walked on this earth, He was born as a man, he, or I mean, a child, He lived as a man, and went about everything that He would normally go about. But He says a very real, real question here. What does it profit? What good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Let's go on. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warned and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So he says very clearly, I can say to I'm blue in the faith that I have faith in God, that I'm a child of God, but if my life doesn't back it up with my works, your faith is non-existent. It's not there. You can say it is, but it's not there. But then he goes on and he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. I mean, after all, I mean, they're all different aspects of being saved. They're all aspects of knowing Jesus. You have faith, I like to do works. It doesn't work that way. He goes on and says, verse 18, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Say, well, are you saying, Pastor Ken, that your, that your works save you? No, not at all. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So no, Pastor Ken is not saying that you should have works to save you. What Pastor Ken is saying, based on the authority of God's Word, is that if you say that you have faith in God, it will be evidenced by what you are doing for Him. That's what God's Word says. So he says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe in what? Tremble. Say, well, the devils believe that there's a God. Of course they do. Does that mean that the demons are going to heaven? No, obviously not. So he said, even the believes, the devils believe in tremble. So, but you, do you want, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead so he says very clearly and so here's the idea that i think we come to this conclusion so often within the body of christ you say well i believe and i would i oftentimes sit back and say but what are you doing to verify that what validates your faith in christ i mean come to church that's not works reading your bible that's not works doing good that's not works Helping the poor, that's... The bottom line is, when it comes down to my faith, if it is real, I want to serve God in some capacity. My works won't save me, but they validate what I say is in my heart and in my in my mind. So as actions speak louder than words, what is it that I'm doing for the Lord that validates my what I say is true in my heart? Sometimes I get to the idea that, hey, well, you know, I'm not gifted in this area or I'm not very talented in that area. I'm not a public speaker. You know what? You don't have to do what I do. Isn't that true? Right? I'm gifted in different ways than you are. Your service and gifts for the Lord will be maybe completely different, entirely different than mine. And that's okay. God gifts us all differently. But for me just to show up week after week after week and not have anything that I'm doing for the Lord, what is Romans 12? Two say, well, one and two. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. Now, when we think of a living sacrifice, oftentimes we think of sacrifice meaning something that is presented as something dead, right? He says, I'm not asking you to die for me. He says, I'm asking that you might live for me. A living sacrifice. In other words, I'm presenting something to God. And what I'm presenting is my life in service to Him. So that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, a holy acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. Or some of your translations might say, reasonable form of worship. Part of my worship for the God is that I'm giving my life as a sacrifice to Him. And by the way, First John reminds us that we love Him because He first loved us. And then He goes on to say, He says, and you know, the bottom line, if you love me, John 13, you'll keep my commandments. 
So the reality is, is if I say that I am a child of God, if I say that I love Him, I should be serving Him with my life in some capacity. Now, once again, that doesn't mean everyone's going to be doing the same thing. But there ought to be something about my life as a child of God that says, I want to serve my Father. And let me just say it, going to church is not serving. Just sitting here. I know that may rub some of you the wrong way, but that's not works. That's faithfulness. That's just saying, I love God and I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to take another step in my walk with Him. So the bottom line is, we should have a lifestyle of obedience to God that includes a work or a service for the Lord. So today I'd like to address that question. What does it mean to be saved? Or am I really saved? So I'm going to start with a couple of statements that may puzzle some of you. So that's just introduction. I ain't got really got started yet. So we're gonna get we're gonna get into the word here in just a moment. But some of you, if you're honest with yourself, cannot remember a time in your life when you gave your life to Christ, when you realized that you were a sinner destined for hell and eternity, and were in need of a savior. I challenge you. Do you remember a time? You had this this situation come up and. You just were, 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 were thinking about it. You know, this, this situation was like, am I really even saved? Do I even know what it means to be saved? Do I, can I think of a time where I realized that, my goodness, I'm just, I'm just, I just don't know. And, and it come back to that place where he said, well, there was this circumstance where I realized that I was a sinner. That apart from Christ, I could not save myself. Apart from repenting of my sins, I could not become a child of God. And I realized that and I had to put my faith and trust in Him and I called on Him to be my Savior. Can you remember a time where you did that? If you can't, you should think about that. That's the most important decision that you will ever make in your entire life is to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. It changes everything. Hands down changes everything. And 1 Corinthians reminds us that old things are passed away, all things become new. My life changes when I know Jesus Christ truly. And so, do you remember a time where you acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you ask forgiveness of your sin, where you put your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, and you made a commitment to serve Him? Do you remember that time? You know, you say, does it all that really matter if I come to church every week? I say once again, on the authority of the Word of God, yes. Because coming to church will not save you. Uh, John 3, 3 says, Jesus answers and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, over the years, uh, I have preached, I'm going to say somewhere between 20 and 30 funeral services. And every once in a while, I have somebody that will call me and they say, Hey, Pastor Ken, uh, so-and-so that I'm related to doesn't have a church home. They didn't really attend church much, but they don't have a pastor. Would you preach a funeral service? On a few of those occasions, they've come to me and I've said, I'll be glad to preach the service, but I have to be honest with you. I knew so-and-so that passed away. They were not a child of God as far as I knew. They never attended a church service, never gave their life to Christ. Nothing in their life resembled someone who would claim to know Jesus. And I will not preach, stand here, and say that they're in heaven today when I do not know that. If you're okay with that, I will preach. Here's what I will say. If so-and-so were standing here today, whether they were saved or not, if so-and-so that passed away were standing here today, they would want you to choose Jesus. Because one second after they die, they know the truth. And if they were to come back and stand right here beside me, they would say, choose Jesus Christ today. Because except one be born again, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3 just for a moment. Nicodemus is telling a story, or the story is told about Nicodemus here. And uh, I want to read it here in the beginning here in John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for you no one can do these things or these signs that you do unless God is within him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we have this idea of what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to know Jesus? It's a fair question. It's a question that Nicodemus had. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, it's obviously no. But Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And the Spirit, 
He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there is one birth that is through woman, the water, and then there's another birth that is through the Spirit in Christ Jesus. And uh, so he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. <clears throat> so he goes on, Nicodemus, verse 9, and said to him, how can these things be? So Jesus answered and said to him, verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak that, speak what we know and testify what we have seen and do not receive our witness. If you have told you, if I, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And here's what he goes on to say in verse 18. And I want you to catch this. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You say, well, if a God is so great, and if He is a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of grace, how would He send anyone to hell for all eternity? Can I just say that again? He who believes in Him is not condemned. You're not condemned to eternity in hell. But he who does not believe is condemned already. There has to come a place in your life where you come to the realization that you're a sinner that you can do nothing to re- to save yourself from your sins and that only Jesus could forgive you of your sins and you repent of them and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. He's the only one that can save you. And then he goes on in those last couple of verses. Verse 19, And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. There are so many people who say, I don't want to become a child of God. I don't want to know what it means to know Jesus. I don't know that I want to be saved because that means too many things will have to change. Why? Because I don't want to give up these areas of sinfulness that I enjoy. I don't want to give up these things that you know bring gratification to myself. I don't want to sacrifice these things because my flesh enjoys them. That's verse 20. Or verse 19. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Why? The truth of the Word of God, the light of God's Word, exposes the darkness for what it is, the sinfulness for what it is. But he who does the truth comes to the light that this, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they may, uh, that they have been done in God. Bottom line is, we need to come to that place where we've been born again if we want to spend eternity in a relationship with our Father in Heaven. So just for review, many people do not understand salvation. I really believe that. There are a lot of people who come to church every week and they don't really understand salvation. Um, If one truly understands salvation, they would most assuredly be more committed to Jesus Christ. Amen? If I truly understood what is involved in, in salvation, I would do more for the cause of Christ. Let me just say this. There are people that want me to get involved in stuff all the time. Every week it seems like my phone is ringing and say, "Hey, Pastor Ken, can you help me with this?" Or can we want to get involved with that. And and so often it's just it's almost frustrating to me. Because here's the thing, I realize that even in this own, in this congregation there are people who are who would in a heartbeat take sides over vaccination, non-vaccination, Democrat, Republican, uh, mandates, no mandates, and, and it's divisive. And then there are those groups that want to be anti-government and stand up for this and stand up for that. I get it. We all have an opinion, right? Every one of us thinks our opinion is right. Every one of us thinks our opinion is the best opinion to have based on what we read and the articles that we have come across. We think we're right. But here's my point with all of it. I don't care where you stand. I really, really don't. Because when it comes down to it in the big picture, I think what we ought to be spending our time with in the days in which we live is telling others what Jesus Christ has done for us. I don't want to tie up the church building on a Friday night doing an anti-government thing. I'd rather tie up on a Friday night men's group or prayer night or being out and about talking to people and sharing the gospel. I think that's what's needed more now than ever. Amen?
That's what we ought to be involved with. So salvation, let me just say it, is not merely saying a prayer. Though I think there's a lot of people who don't understand you know, what, what salvation is, but it's not just simply praying. There are so many people, if you ask them, hey, are you saved? Well, yeah, I prayed when I was a kid. But what did you pray? Well, I don't remember, but my mom says I prayed. They wrote it down on this date. I mean, there are people who say, well, I just prayed. And I wrote it down. I don't remember what I said. I don't remember what I did. I don't remember the day changing in my life. But you know, I said a prayer when I was a kid. Simply praying a prayer will not save anybody. Going to church. Say, well, pastor, I'm there every single week. I don't miss the doors. When the doors are open, I am there. I mean, certainly that gives evidence that I'm saved. No, it does not. And let me tell you why. When I moved to New Palestine, Indiana, my next door neighbor went to church every Sunday for 51 years to the same exact church. And never once... In 51 years, had she or her husband made a decision for salvation? In fact, when she was my next-door neighbor, I asked her, I said, have you been going to that church for 51 years? She goes, yeah, every Sunday, never miss a Sunday. And I said, well, when did you come to know Jesus? She goes, what? I said, yeah, when did you get saved? She goes, I don't really know, I don't understand what you're saying. 51 years, folks! So you don't tell me going to church is going to save you. It's not! You can go to church forever and never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Church will not save you. It's not a social club. You know, there are so many people say, well, I love the church. You know, people are so nice there. I mean, they, they, I mean, they're so kind and they're genuine and they come in and they give me a hug and they ask me about my week and I feel like I really fit in here and it's just like I'm, I feel like, you know, it's just, it's just, I found my niche. It's not a spiritual social club. And being a part of it, and just because they're kind, and just because they're nice, and just because they invite you out to lunch, or to their home, or they go out and do something together, will not make you a child of God. So you may come every single week. I've had people say, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to make changes in my life. I'm going to do things different. Praise God! Some of y'all need to. Truth, Right? Some of you don't realize you got habits in your life that are terrible. You're doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing. You're doing things that you know break the heart of God and you continue to do them because in your mind no one else knows about it. God knows about it. I can hide it from everyone else, but you can't hide it from God. But I feel good and I need to make some changes so I'm going to come to church and kind of fit in and you know everything's going to get better. No, it won't because change begins in the heart. And it begins at salvation. So it's not just turning over a new leaf and all of a sudden trying to get more involved. Oh my goodness. Religion. There are so many people who say, well, I'm religious. What does that even mean? It means something different to everybody. I mean, I go to such and such church. And? Church is not going to save you. Being a Baptist, being a Church of God, Church of Christ, Lutheran, Methodist, and whatever else one that you can think of will not save you. Religion has never, ever, ever saved anyone. Religion will send someone straight to the pit of hell if they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I don't care whether you're a Baptist or a Buddhist. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're destined for hell. So, Pastor, that's harsh. It's only harsh based on the Word of God. So let me give you a couple of verses because salvation is an act of our Heavenly Father whereby He paid the price for our sin by sending His Son to earth to die on the cross to shed His blood that you and I might have forgiveness of sins and have an opportunity to be a part of His family, to have a relationship with Him because He loved us. That's it. And I'm so glad that He made it simple enough that I could understand it because I'm just telling you, some people graduate magna cum laude. Some others graduate thank the Lord. I'm not very brilliant. I'm just telling you. And those of you that know me know that. Mike's brilliant. Mike's a genius. He talks up here, and I have no clue what he's saying when he gets in those astrophysic terms. I have no earthly idea. I'm lost as a duck in a snowstorm. Bottom line is, or I think it's actually goose. There you go. Kind of correct myself. I have no clue what that man is saying when he gets on those subjects. But I understand salvation. Because he made it child, simple enough that a child can understand it. 
Our Heavenly Father paid the price by sending His Son to this earth to die on a cross, to shed His blood that you and I might have forgiveness of sins. Because He loved us. He wants a relationship with us. And can I say, it's more than just saying a prayer. It's more than just escaping hell. As I said two weeks ago, that's a probably not a good reason to get saved just because you don't want to go to hell. I think a far better one is to comprehend that Jesus loves us and that He died for us. And you know what? It really is exclusive. Let me say what, share, share with you what I mean by that. John 14.6 says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, no one comes to the Father but by me. We say, well, there's all kinds of religions. There's just a lot of different paths, but they all get to the same place. No, they don't. Based on God's Word, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Folks, that is a verse that we ought to take with us no matter what. And if someone says, well, I'm a Catholic, you're a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, whatever. Bottom line is you point right to this verse and you say, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And in John chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, He says this, As you have given Him authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that you may know, that He, that they may know you, the only, the only, say it with me, the only true and living God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He's the only God. He's the only one that could pay the price. He's the only one that could uh, take care of the atonement for our sins. Acts 4.12 Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's not in Buddha. It's not in Confucius. It's not in Martin Luther. It's not in George Whitfield. It's not in Jonathan Edwards. It's not in John Wesley. It's in Jesus Christ. Do you realize that almost every denomination under the sun, which now there are over 40,000 registered denominations now in religions, 40,000. You know what they all have apart from Christianity? A founder. And you know what's true about the founders of all those religions? They died. And you know what's also true about those founders that died? They didn't come back to life. Jesus is the only one. The only one. That's what sets Him apart from every other one. And that's why we can say with a certainty, 1 John 5.13, these things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Let me just say this. I don't have to wish I'm going to heaven one day when I die. I don't have to hope I've been a good enough person that I've done enough good works, been to church enough, helped enough poor people. Just was a generally nice guy. I don't have to hope in any of that. I don't even have to wish that I'll make it in somehow by the skin of my teeth. These things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. He took the guesswork out of it. Aren't you glad for that? That we can know. But let me just say this, getting back to why we're talking about these questions. Am I really saved? Do I really know Jesus? It's a result of so many people who claim the name of Jesus but are not living it out in their lives. There needs to be a change if we're truly saved. Let me just say it. We're living in a Catholic area. There's no salvation in Mary. Mary, just because she's the son of Jesus, there's nothing special about her as far as salvation is concerned. Mary's not going to save anyone. We know from His Word that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And we can know that salvation is certain. Bottom line is, do you know Him? Don't just say it, but I want you to think deep in your mind and in your heart before you and God, because you and God know the truth, really. You and God know the truth. Does my life demonstrate someone who truly knows Jesus? Does my life truly demonstrate by my actions, my reactions, my obedience to God, 
does it demonstrate that I truly know Jesus? Not do you go to church. Not are you a nice person. Not do you help those in need. Not are you morally or ethically good. But do you know Jesus and your life demonstrate the truth of that fact? Because I just truly believe that more of us, if we truly lived out what we say is in our heart, it would change so much. Let me just kind of jump off a rabbit trail just for a moment. Because I think these things kind of play into it all. If Jesus is so great, if Jesus is just so awesome, if Jesus is just all that we ever dreamed He would be and more, when's the last time we shared Him with anybody? Let's be honest. Let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get to where the rubber meets the road. Let's get down to the reality. When's the last time I even mentioned his name in public? Or to a friend, a relative, a coworker? Let's be honest. Oh, but he's so great. He's changed my life. Has he? So, Pastor, you're meddling. You're stepping all over toes. I hope to beat it with a sledgehammer because I'm tossing, I'm beating my own too. I've asked God to open up doors because I get really busy with church people that I don't force myself to get out. Our dryer blew. I got tired of working on dryer. I mean, I've, I've worked on that thing so many times. I'm tired of looking at it. I said, I'm done with it. I have switched out every part on that thing. I'm done with it. So we got a different dryer, but it's not hooked up yet. The new one's sitting in my living room. I mean, my kitchen. It's not ready to be hooked up yet, but... Last night, I took six loads of clothes over to the laundromat. That's all our favorite thing to do, right? <laughs> got to love going to the laundromat. My favorite thing to do, not. But my wife looked at me, she goes, would you run them up there? And I'm like, absolutely. And I did. I said, she goes, well, you want me to do it? And I said, no, I got it. Because I knew there would be an opportunity. And God gave it to me. So I'm sitting there last night. I'm kind of going over my message. I got my Bible laid out. I got my iPad laid out, and I've got some notes there, and I'm writing notes. And you know, and I'm sitting there at the table talking to everybody passing by, and I'm like, you know, you start saying praise the Lord, and they're like, anybody else hear that? I'm just telling you, the opportunities are around us, and if you say Jesus has changed your life, if you say that He means the world to you. And you can't wait to spend eternity with him in heaven, but you can't open your mouth and tell anybody about him down here. I have to wonder, are we truly saved? Let's be honest. Say, Pastor, that's harsh. Yes, it is. For all of us. Two hands and a foot. Because so much of life revolves around me rather than him. Let's be honest, folks. Has he changed your life? Has he really made a difference to the point that Things change because of it? That's a harsh reality. If we truly knew Jesus, things would be different for many of us. Think in your mind just for a moment. All the blessings and benefits of knowing Jesus and spending eternity in heaven. When I read through every once in a while, Revelation 21, 22... It says, and just comprehend this in your mind. Just kind of close your eyes and think about this. That he says there will be no need of the sun there because the glory of God will be its light. Just kind of, kind of wrap your brain around that just for a minute. That God's glory will emanate the light that we need. That there will be streets of gold as transparent glass. That there will be the gates of the city, each one lined with pearl and special em- and. And, and gems of, of great value. That's just some of the appearance of it. But then close your eyes and think for a minute. No more sickness. No more sadness. No more sorrow. Wow. Then we think of a very fact that he says, nothing can enter into heaven that defiles. Can you even begin to grasp what heaven's going to be like? But yet most of us are living for the things of this earth rather than the things of heaven. Why? Well, there's a certain reality because we live here. 
But there's also a certain reality that we enjoy it here. And we live for what this world has to offer. See, there's things that are eternal and things that are temporal. The things that are eternal are the Word of God, the souls of men, the things that will last eternity, the things that will span the test of fire. But then there's things that are eternal that are going to burn down to the ground and there'll be no remembrance of them. Which ones are we living for? You say, Pastor, you just want us all to be a bunch of holy rollers? No, I don't. I don't want you to be anything. God wants you to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So all of us should understand that apart from salvation in Jesus Christ, we will as a certainty spend eternity in hell. That's a reality that all of us need to consider. That if we don't know Jesus, eternity in hell will be our destiny. All of us should understand that there's nothing that any of us can do to save ourselves. Nothing. There's not a one of us that can save ourselves. We all need to understand that God loves us so much. So much. One of the truths that we've brought out the last couple of weeks in men's Bible study was this fact. As much as Satan wants to see your life destroyed, as much as Satan wants to see you fail, God loves you more. God loves you more. Just let that sink in for a minute. God loves you so much. And if we say that we know Him, what's different in our life because of it? What's different? So you're a good person, relatively speaking. You're a nice guy. You're a nice gal. So you go to church. Whoop-de-doo. Half the world goes to church somewhere. Doesn't make them a Christian. Doesn't make them a follower of Christ. Do you really know Him? And has the power of God in your life, working in and through you, changed you into something like to His image? And all of us need to understand that He loves us so much that He would provide a means of salvation. That He would make a way for us to be a part of His family for all eternity. That He would provide this gift for all mankind. I want to close by just kind of sharing a story. An illustration, if you will, called The Sickness and the Cure. Can you imagine just for a moment that you've got a sickness that has just brought you down? You know it's going to bring certain death unless you find a cure. But because you want to live, you've done everything within your might to find doctor that can help you and help you be cured of the sickness that you have. And because of the pursuit is so strong, you've gone to doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor to no avail. They just can't seem to help you heal. You've tried medication after medication after medication after medication and nothing seems to work. And in your mind, you're starting to lose hope. And in your mind, you think that death is probably not far off. Then all of a sudden, someone calls you and says, Hey, I have found something that is guaranteed 100% to work with your sickness and will bring you healing. What would you do to get that healing? I mean, none of us looks forward to death. I mean, I have no death wish. I mean, I don't. I don't. Wake, I didn't wake up this morning saying, "Woo! This is a great day to die." I didn't wake up that way this morning. I want to live. I want to serve the Lord. I want to see my family grow. I want to see the kids come and get stronger and grow up. And I, I, I want to see life happen just like everyone else. None of us looks forward to waking up and saying, well, today's a good day. But also, and someone says, here is guaranteed healing. All you need to do is this. And so here's the thing. I think of that just for a moment. I think of Naaman jumping in the, you know, the river seven times. Is it Naaman? I'm mixing my stories up. Naaman. Jumps in the river. He said, if you just jump in that river seven times, you'll be healed. Right. That's a muddy river. Yeah, it sure is. It's a muddy river. 
well, there's a cleaner river over here. Can we use this one? No, because he said use this one. I know, but this river over here is so much better. It's cleaner. It's pure. It's just, I mean, it's just nicer. No, this one. So he jumps in once. Still has, yeah, still sick. Jumps in a second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time. Come on, is this really, is it, is it really healing here? Come on, this is not going to work. I, I just, I've tried everything, you know, and you think this river is going to be better than this one? Are you willing to obey? Are you willing to put your faith and trust in what I told you to do? And can you imagine just a couple more dips and he comes up clean? Guaranteed healing. The only thing it took on his part was faith. Get back to the illustration. You've got a disease. Every one of us has it. It's called sin. And apart from God's healing touch in our lives, we will all die spend eternity in hell. But then He gives you the healing, which is faith and trust in Jesus. And the only thing you have to do is trust Him. Trust Him. I want to close by looking at one passage of Scripture. So if you would, take your Bibles. Say, I've heard this before. It's okay. You can hear it again. We're almost done. Romans 10. So, question is, how? How do I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? How do I do that? So many of us say, well, I'm a Christian. I've been in church for my years. I've done this. I've done that. Erase all that and come back to the Scripture. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you truly saved? Do you truly know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because remember, we looked at two weeks ago, if I'm truly saved, I would be bringing praise to God. I would be declaring His glory. I would be bringing Him pleasure. I would be doing good works. And those are just a few of the things that we looked at. Does my life represent someone who truly knows Jesus? So here's how. Verse 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let me stop right there just for a moment. Confession and prayer. Has there ever been a point in your life, in all honesty, where you realize that you are a sinner. That Christ died for your sins. Stop right there. You're a sinner. Christ died for your sins. And then my response to that is, Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner. And I ask You to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse my heart. And I call on You to be my Savior. I believe that You died on the cross to save me. You shed Your blood. And God, I put my faith and trust in You alone. Have you ever done that? It says, for with the heart one believes, but with the mouth confession is made. Have you ever taken a moment and just prayed and said, God, I need You. And apart from You, I will spend eternity in hell. Because that, my friend, is just the beginning of a lifelong relationship with the Lord. Changes everything. So he goes on to say this. With the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now look at verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever shall be saved. I'm so thankful that God made it so simple that I could understand it. He didn't make it for the rich and the wealthy and the, the social elites. He didn't make it for those who were geniuses because you know because they couldn't understand it. He didn't make it just for the poverty, those in poverty and poor and you know got no other place to turn. He says, Whoever. Whoever he says, I love you that much. But here's the question I want you to struggle with. And yes, I want you to struggle with it. Does my life demonstrate a relationship with Jesus Christ? 
Because if it doesn't, you have to struggle with whether or not you truly are saved. Do you truly know Him? Do you truly know Jesus Christ? And your life would back that up. In just a moment, as we do each and every Sunday morning, I'm going to close in prayer. But if you're sitting there today and you say, I don't know that I'm saved. Let me just tell you and encourage you, it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life to know Jesus. Does Jesus know you because you have a relationship with Him? I think most of us, if I were to say, hey, do you know President Biden? Yeah, we all know him. We see him on TV all the time. Can you pick up your cell phone and call him? Can you send him an email or a text and know that he'll respond? Can you talk back and forth with him on Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook and say, hey, check what's going on in my family, what's going on in yours? No, see, a lot of us know about President Biden like we know about Jesus. But does Jesus know you? Because you have a relationship with him. And relationship is based off what? Folks, we said this a hundred times, based off what? Communication. It's God speaking to us and us speaking to God. Does my life demonstrate a relationship with Jesus? Because if it does, everything should change. Everything should change. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I, I don't know that. Can I invite you just to come to Jesus? And coming to Jesus is not joining the church. It's not a commitment to give to the church. It's not a commitment to start doing for the church. It's a begin of a relationship with Jesus Christ that changes everything. Would you pray with me? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord Jesus, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we're Lord, just amazed at what your word tells us, that we can know you, that we can have a relationship with you because you love us so much. You loved us enough to send your son to die on the cross, to give us an opportunity to, to have a relationship with you, Father. A relationship that changes everything. A relationship unlike any other relationship. Based on faith and trust in you. And Lord Jesus, as we come before you in prayer, Lord, I never want to assume that everybody who is sitting here today knows you. There may be some that do and there's some that don't. But Lord, I pray that you'd work in every heart to draw those that are in need of a Savior, Lord, to you this morning. That you would tug at their heartstring, Lord. That you would just impress upon them the need of salvation. And Lord, for those that may have already made that decision, Lord, might their life back up what they say is in their heart. God, I pray that you would truly reveal and help us to be honest about our walk with you, whether it's there or not, our relationship with you, whether it's there or not. And Lord, let me be obedient to do what it takes to restore it or to start it. So as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, can I just simply ask this question this morning as no one's looking around, just for a moment. Do you truly know Jesus? Does your life represent somebody who knows Jesus? You say, Pastor Kenneth, I'm honest with myself this morning. I don't know that I can truly say, truly say that I'm saved. I don't remember a time when I literally just put my faith and trust in Him. I don't remember that time but I'm concerned about it. My friend, I will not embarrass you and not call you out. Nobody's looking around at you, but you'd say with an uplifted hand, I'm just not sure, but I'm concerned. Could, could I see your hand so I could pray for you? Do you know Jesus? You say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Pray for me. Anyone like that this morning? Yes, I appreciate that. Anyone else? Yes. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, I'm just not sure, but I'm concerned. Would you pray for me? I'll not embarrass you. I'll not call you out. Just simply with your uplifted hand, Say, include me in your prayer. Anyone else like that this morning? Yes, I appreciate that. Appreciate anyone else. Pastor Ken, I'm not sure. Be honest, folks. This is the most important decision that you'll ever make in your entire life. It would determine your eternal destiny. Forever in heaven with our Lord and Savior or forever in hell. Prepared for the devil and his demons. Do you know Jesus? Say, Pastor Ken, I'm concerned. I'm not sure. Anyone else? So here's what I'd like for you to do. If you are not sure, I'm going to lead you in prayer. My prayer will not save you. It cannot save you. If you're here this morning, you say, I would like to pray, but I'm not sure what to say. 
Can I just lead you? And it's your faith, your trust. My prayer will not, it cannot save you. But it's simply a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on a cross and shed your blood that I might have forgiveness of sins. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Cleanse my heart. I put my faith and trust in you as my Savior and in you alone to save me. In Jesus' name, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you are saying, Pastor Ken, I prayed that prayer this morning. Would you just acknowledge that by lifting your hand or looking straight at me? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anyone else? Yes. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. For the rest of you, does your life resemble somebody who truly knows Jesus? Is your reputation one of one who walks with the Lord? What you say is in your heart is what is lived out in your life. You say, Pastor Ken, there's a disparity and some things need to change and I need to start acting like I say it was in my heart. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes. Yes. Yes, all over the front, back, yeah. It's a struggle, I know. But if we truly love Jesus, he says, you'll be obedient and you'll live for me. Can I challenge you to just take a moment and pray? Say, Lord, forgive me for not living as I ought. God, help me to live as I should, Lord, to, Lord, to let my actions be what I say is in my heart. Live a life that's pleasing to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd work in our hearts this morning. Be with each one who raised their hand their heart towards you this morning. I ask God that you would be glorified through all that is said and done, through these questions that we have, Lord. And I ask God that you would, Lord, do in us, Lord, what we cannot do in and of ourselves. We need your Holy Spirit to change our hearts and our lives. Lord, thank you for these ones who've prayed to trust you. Thank you, Lord, for those who acknowledge that things need to change. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and how it works. Lord, bring about some changes in our lives this week. May our lives truly be one that's representative of obedience in you. And we'll thank you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.